What a mess. What a mess. Has anybody's life ever been a mess? Come on, folks. I mean a mess. Everything you've done, everything you've tried to do, nothing has worked out. Everything in the families went wrong. You had nothing but a mess in your hands. Man, can anybody relate? Maybe, it's, maybe this message is just for me because I know what it's like to my family be a mess. And I thought back to the scripture that he that ruleth his house does not ruleth it well and, and he is not to be a, in place of leadership. And but my life and my family has been a mess at times. A mess. You ever had a mess in your life, in your family, in your spouse's family, and you're drawn into this drama? It's all you ever talk about. It's all you ever think about. And so many times, it's the thing that it's the thing that defines who we are. It defines who we are. Like it or not, it does. Well, I've had a few messes, had a few mess ups, had a few. Well, let me just read some words to you. Tragedy struck my house. Drama. I'm not big into drama, and I'm definitely not big into drama in the church. And uh, things happen sometimes, but drama is one that can be eliminated. Uh, a long-lived problem, a sudden leap problem, an embarrassment, dread. All these things that happen in our families. Because like it or not, we are a product of our families. And how we live, is, it affects us, everything in our family. So what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is to get rid of the mess. In everybody's life, every individual's life. Not just ours. If we're, if we're only thinking about ours, we're very self-centered. So we got to think a, a, a little bigger, if you will. We want our family to be out of the mess that they're in. I was on the phone this morning. Uh, I've been planning on using this just a couple, few minutes ago when I was going to leave my office. I just wrote it down. I got a good friend and and. Uh, he hasn't been in church here in a long time, but I tried to call him a couple of times this week. He never answered because he's embarrassed. Embarrassed of the decisions that's been made, embarrassed of the situation he was in, embarrassed of a whole lot of things. And he has allowed his embarrassment, his hurt, and, and all the junk that's won on his life to determine everything about him. The way he goes out, the way he doesn't come out. The way he, he, he told me just as soon to stay in his house and, and watch TV and just live there and don't go anywhere else because he's so ashamed of all the stuff that's happened. You know, you may be like that to a degree this morning. I remember years ago, my mom had talked to me. I, I've talked to her out rather, and she, my mom was kind of free to give you her opinion. If anybody knows my mom, you know that. And she said, Dwight, I, you all have a, a unique church, man. She said, they're not, 
just the fact that you've been through what you've been through and they didn't tell you to resign or, or quit or, or find somebody else or something like that. And I said, Mama, no. I, I even, at one time, was in the board meeting, I said, guys, there's so many chaotic things in my family and stuff in my house or extended house that if you want us to resign, I'll, I'll resign. And they looked at me and they said some things I won't go into detail, but but a mess. I've had families in town call my wife, call myself, and had desperate dads, desperate moms call us and try to figure out how how'd you get through your mess? How'd you get through it? Maybe you're here and there's just too much baggage. Just too much baggage in your life. We talk about uh, this is a move. We talk about coming to God and surrendering everything and giving everything to him. But I I just have too much in my life. Maybe you don't know my background. Maybe you don't know the embarrassing things that I've done and been involved in. And See, there's not much I haven't heard or part of it, not much I haven't lived in. But everybody in here has got a mess issue you have to deal with. I'm going to say that again. Every person in here has a mess issue they have to deal with. And let me enlighten you. If, if you don't think that you don't, uh, you mothers, you fathers, you uh, kids, grandkids, you look in your life and you look at yourself. I think of so many of us that I know about things in our life that we, that we battle because they're a mess in our homes, a mess in our life. And, and we're consistent. We still follow him. We still serve him. He's the only thing in our life that, that gives us order to the mess that we've got to live in at times. Wednesday night I was talking about walking in favor with God and man and, and I really feel so strong about that and, it's a great, great teaching, a lot of information about that, and, and it's so practical, and it, it applies to every one of us. But I want to touch, just for a couple seconds, uh, in Genesis chapter 37. We have a family that's really mixed up, really cruel, very vicious. Chapter 37, verse 26 through 28. And Judah, and Judah said unto his brethren, what profit it? If we, eat, if we slay our brother and conceal his blood, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let our, not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh. And his brother were content. And there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, that drew him and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold him, sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver and they brought Joseph to Egypt. They didn't know it. But this was all in God's divine plan. A plan to, to get all of the brothers, if you will, in Egypt someday. This is a plan to get the parents in Egypt. Didn't understand and They thought that they were really doing a good thing by not selling, by not killing him because that was con- they were going to con- kill him at some time. Because they were jealous of Joseph. For conscience sake, at ease, it was at ease for them how they treated Joseph. 
The brothers conspired together to sell him for only 20 pieces of silver. Little did they know that God had such a, a orchestrated their plans. Let me, let me stop here. Because in every one of our lives, we may not be instrumental as he was and, and Joseph in, in, the, in the, the delivering of his family with food and about setting them up for 400 years of captivity. But every one of us, God has orchestrated a lot of things. If we'll be faithful, we'll see him come through. So that's why we, no matter what our mess is, but could you imagine if you had brothers, I have one brother, I've talked to him some, I don't, I don't talk to him a whole lot, but he'd be pretty messed up. I'll pick on Leighton and Tyson because they're here, and I'm proud of them for being here. I really am. That's right. Yeah. You see, yeah, they deserve it, I guess. Come on, y'all. Yeah, help me out a little bit. Um, they, they, were, they were part of my mess. They were a big part of the mess. But God in his grace, God in his grace, not the goodness of either one of them, reached down and he seemed to have a little mercy and he seemed to orchestrate a lot of things in their life that brought them back to church and we're all involved and, and uh, just a great couple of guys But God orchestrated everything in the Bible in the Old Testament about future. We talked about this a few weeks ago, too, how he knew things 2,000 years before they took place and they had to come to pass before he could, could, could bring all of his plan together. I want to go to the next place, and the next scripture I want to share with you is in uh, Genesis chapter 38. This is a chapter isolated only to itself. It doesn't have anything to do with chapter 37. It doesn't have anything to do with chapter 39 through 50. Nothing. I don't see any correlations of, of this scripture, but, it, but it, the whole chapter, uh, chapter 38, we, we have a, a story in the life of a young man by the name of Judah. And Judah was a, a unique one in God's eyes, and he was in the lineage of Jacob. That was his father. Jacob had 12 sons. He was number four through a woman by the name of Leah, and she was the, he was the last son of Leah. Why in the world would God choose to bring the heir and bring the future of the family into him? Go to chapter 38, verse 1. Then came to pass that at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and returned to, and returned to certain Adelite, Adelite, whatever it is, whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of the, of the Canaanites whose name was Shua. And he took her and went into her. I want to stop here for just a minute because here we have a young boy and he's in the middle of all this stuff. And we don't know, he brought up the idea to sell Joseph. But in chapter 38, it's all so alone, but it has so much impact upon the future. And I'll get to that shortly. He joined himself to Hira. Who was Hira? Let's go back in time. When he had sold Joseph into slavery, I don't know exactly how old he was at this time, but he went and he joined himself to Hira. He was a teenager himself. Judah was a teenager. How many of you ever heard the, the line of the tribe of Judah? There's a lot of messes in his life. A lot of messes. Matter of fact, some of you here, you think about your marriage as a mess. Or your former marriage as a mess. Man, 
why is it, why is it that we put so many labels on ourselves? We limit ourselves to what God could possibly do with my life. And in this, in this particular passage, we, we had him join himself to Haran, uh, to Hora, and his Adolmite. And, and every time that we uh, think of behavior of him, he was in a, a mess making a behavior. Uh, he made his, left his family, left everything that he ever thought was right, and he didn't respect the, the fact that his father worshipped the way he did and lived the way he did. He abandoned it and went and he joined himself to this man in another country. He didn't have any respect for his family's. He didn't. He was young. He was a teenager when he left home. Verse 32, he marries a young woman of that country. How many knows her name? It's funny in Scripture, there's things that are important that, that, that are written and recorded, but things that are kind of not, report, not important are not recorded. And I think, it was, I think it's of a great, great emphasis and great importance to God that her name was never recorded. He married her, but she's not recorded. Look at verse 3 through, through 10. So he'd been with her, and in verse 10, she conceived and had a son, and she called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she called his name Onan. And she yet conceived again and bare him a son, and called his name Shelah. And he was at, Chis- help me on this, when, uh, when she bare him. And Judah, Judah took his wife for his firstborn, Ur, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. How many knows that, that when God slays somebody, it's not bad? It may not seem fair to us, and I don't want to be the one he slays, but it isn't wrong for God to slay people. There's been many times I get in my mind that, that I understand the things of God and the reason he does things, but really it was his prerogative. What was this man going to do to the future lineage of Christ? He did evil in the sight of God. How many other people throughout the Old Testament that we've seen that we've done evil in the sight of God and he let them live? But him, he took his life. And Judah said unto Onan, go into thy brother's Go into thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. Now, I'm going to stop here for just a second. If Ur was already evil, Onan probably didn't have a lot to do with him. He didn't have a lot of respect for him. See, one didn't want to raise somebody up and have a child with her, and this child come up and receive all the, the benefits of being the firstborn. Onan. So what did Onan do? And Onan knew that his seed should not be this, be his. In other words, it would be considered his brother's. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he spilled a seed on the ground, lest that he should give seed to his brother. And the thing that he did displeased the Lord wherewith he slew him. And we don't know if this took place over a six-month period or a three-month period or a one-night deal. One thing about it, he didn't respect the, the, the law. There was a all history there, but he didn't respect that it was a common courtesy and it was a common behavior that every time the son, the second son was born, every time the second son born was married to the wife of the first one, they had kids and they would give the first one to the, to the honor, honor to the father. We're going to slow down here a minute. I got a lot of things running through my mind this morning. So here we have Onan, disrespectful. 
He didn't listen to the things of God, and he then thinks his own way. I've listened to a lot of speaking and, and read a lot of things about Onan. And I wonder, was it, was it really because of, because uh, it was going to be firstborn and heir to Ur? He didn't want to have a son. I read one thing, and it said that actually what the problem was with Onan is he was just like Ur. He was very sensual in his thinking. And he was, using, he was using her as a sex object is the only reason, no type of relationship he had with her. Now stay with me. He would go into her as her husband and just stop. But it was nothing more than lust for him. It wasn't about the relationship. And so what did the Lord do to him? Verse 10, and he sued him also. Desperate. This is two guys she's been married to, and they both are dead. And they're both brothers. And guess what? There's one more brother. So she goes to Judah. Let's read it. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow at thy father's house till, till Shelah, my son, is grown. And he said, preadventure he die also as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So he promised. There's something about your word and your promises, but Judah made a promise to give her the last son. When he's old enough, he'll be your son, he'll be your husband, and I'll send him to you. So she went, and she stayed there for a long time. She stayed at her father's house. And it was customary that when a woman was a widow, she wore certain clothes and certain colors, just like today. 38 verse 12. And in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted. And he went up to a shepherd shears in Timnath for his, and his friend Hira, the Adamite. Adamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law has gone up there to shear sheep. And she put, on her widow's gar- she put her widow's garments off of her and covered her veil, face with a veil and wrapped herself in, in a, sat in an open place, which is by the way of Timnah. For she saw that she, Shelah was grown and was not given to, to him for him to wife her. And Judah, when he saw her, he thought, he thought she was a harlot because she had her face covered. Now let me just cut through this and get to the bottom of it. Here's the following law Judah. His wife had just died. He was going up to, to the next town up. Let's say he was going for, at the advance to shear his sheep. And so this woman hears, his former daughter-in-law hears, that he's going to be, be going up there to shear sheep. She goes, huh, I got a plan. She took all of her widow garment off and set them aside, and she put herself up and fixed herself up, and she put a, a garment, a, a, a veil over her face, and she went and sat by the road. Now, I thought, what if somebody else came by? Does she not respond? Because women at that time, they, they were, were dressed a certain way for a certain kind of business. And that's what she done. So here came Judah up the road. And, mm-hmm. She obliged. Isn't it kind of messed up? Isn't it kind of messed up? The guy like, like Judah, Judah, 
was married, he lost his wife, but then he immediately gets with a harlot. Let's go a little bit farther. He gets word that, well, let me go back. Look in verse uh, verse 15. Judah saw her, thought her to be a harlot. She covered, not, she covered her face. And he turned her away and he said, go, I pray thee, go to, I pray thee, and let me come to thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in? And he said, I will send the kid from the flock. She said, will thou give me pledge until I come, until I send, till thou send it? And he said, what pledge shall I give thee? And she said, thy signet and thy bracelets and thy staff that is in thy hand. And he gave it to her and came in and she conceived by him. I want to stop. There's a whole lot more to this. But she, he went in there and he gave her some of his personal belongings. So I don't have any personal belongings. But if I came to my wife, I'm going to give you this. Uh, and I'll give you some jelly beans in my pocket. Two. Okay, thank you very much. And I go on my way. Well, I got home, and I have an employee, and I said, take this kid down to the harlot down to the next town over to Advance. Take her a kid, a little lamb or a little goat. Take it to her. He goes, okay. So he takes it to the, to the place where he said she was at, and there was nobody there. So she went back to her house, and she held on to all those things that he gave her because they proved who was there. Because she knew that she found out there was... It was caught, found out that she was with child without being married. She would be stoned to death. Verse 24. And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot, also being with child is, by, is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, bring her forth and let her be burnt. Normally, they were stoned, this time burnt. He was very agitated and full of rage. When she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man whose these are, I am with child. And he said, Bescern, I pray, who's these, who are these? The signet, the bracelets, and the staff. And Judah acknowledged them and said, She hath been more righteous than I, because I gave her not my son Selah to her. And she, he knew her no more. You know, it was embarrassing for him. Let me go back to the beginning. Our life is a mess. And he only made it a bigger mess because of stuff that he'd done. And he involved a lot more people and involved other people's lives and other people was gonna receive the, the judgment of, of things that he brought upon them. But she had, she had two, child, two, two children in her, in her womb. One's name is Perez. Went blank on the second one. Let's go a little farther, verse 27 through 29. And it came to pass at the time of her travail that, behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass that when she travailed that one then put his hand out. And the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand that, behold, his brother came out and said, How has this broken, how has, has this broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore his name was called... Perez. 
And after came out his brother who had a scarlet thread upon his hand. His name is Zerah. All this sounds like a wonderful story or a terrible story or whatever. But I want you to understand there's a lot more to this than just at this time. And the same way with our lives. There was seasons of my life, this total mess, man. I didn't understand. I couldn't, couldn't comprehend I, and how to deal with it. I didn't know how to deal with messes that we, were, we had in our family. But the difference is this. You may have a mess you're in the middle of. And it's unpleasant. You want to run from it. You want to cut it off and quit and think it'll go away. But really, you get to deal with the mess that you, that you have. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Verse 2, Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac began Jacob, and Jacob began Judah and his brethren, and Judah begat Perez and Zerah of Tamar. I don't know why Tamar wasn't necessarily written in there, but I want your attention. He was married to another woman, and she died, and he had an affair with his daughter in law. Doesn't make any sense. It's kind of confusing why God would allow this. But you can read down a few more verses and you'll find out that she was involved in Boaz. And then after that, Obed. And after that, King David. And we know that David is, a, is known as the father or a forefather of Jesus Christ. You see, we may have a mess right now. But you be faithful until the end. You be faithful in spite of your mess. You be faithful in spite of who's in your family that you think is all messed up. You be faithful. Because this isn't all hinging on them. This is hinging many times upon you. You're a decision maker. And you're, you're, the, you're the planner, if you will. And unbeknownst to you, you don't even know the plans yet, but you just be faithful so that you will have a plan. I'm going to close in another verse. I'm going to ask you all to come back and, and close in the service. Let me, go, let me go a little step farther with, with him just a minute, Judah, Judah. How many is familiar with Leah? Familiar with Leah? I'm going to tell you a little, a little history on her. Uh, I'm going to go to Genesis in chapter 2. Chapter 2. Chapter 29. Stay with me just for a minute. Don't leave or anything. Just listen. I know you're doing this, maybe embarrassing, but how many has a mess in their life? You have some kids, you have family, you have husband, whatever. I want, I want, I want you to really raise your hand now. How many has a, fest, a mess? A mess in your life? Yeah. I got a mess. Do you know how to fix it? No. 
You continue to be consistent is the only thing I'm going to tell you. But you be consistent in your walk. Here's a woman who was absolutely abandoned in life, she felt. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son and called his name Reuben. For she said, surely the Lord will look upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. But it didn't happen. Verse 33, and she conceived again and bare a son. And, and because the Lord had heard it, heard it that I was hated, he therefore had given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again. Now this time will my husband be joined to me because I bore him three sons. Therefore, for his name was Levi. In verse 35, do you see the progression in her life? The next one you're going to see that she realizes now, man, it's not all about me. It's not about me being ignored, not about me being loved, not about my sister having all of Jacob's affection. She's going to see it really for what it is. Look at verse 35. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, now, I'll praise thee, therefore. I'll praise you, God. She knew then, finally she got it. She got a, a little glimpse of what her life was about. What it was about. For those in here, you maybe you don't have a glimpse of it. You don't even see it. There's any light at the end of the tunnel. There's, no, there's nothing in your life. You feel like everything's total chaos, total mess. Leah was weak. She was ugly. She was not desirable. She hated life. She was unwanted. She was afflicted always. She was unlikely to ever have anything any better. Until she began to look inside. You know, we, we, we play down our life and we, we always say somebody else can do it, somebody else can do something. And in all reality, I wonder how many of us have lit, missed great blessings that God would have in order for us if we had not looked the other way. The disciples were ordinary. They were unqualified. They were undeserving. What about Abraham? He lied, committed adultery. Samson fooled around all the time and, and broke all his, his Nazarite vows. Jacob deceived everybody. Lot committed incest. Man, committed incest. Jonah ran and pouted. Saul, Paul, he murdered a lot of people. David was a murderer and adulterer. Moses doubted. And he found so many excuses not to go on. Man. You may be one that's really living with regrets on how your life has ended up. And I know this isn't applying to everybody, but I guarantee you there's some there that I know that's heavy upon their mind. Their life is a mess. Where did I, where did I go wrong? I had this envision of great, wonderful things, but it didn't happen. It didn't 
so it means that you're not any good now. There's, there's no use if you try now. There's no reason that God would ever shine his glory on you and shine his favor upon you. Nothing could be farther from, than the truth. It's not different with, with you. No way God would have chosen or, or picked up you with so much baggage in your life. I go back to my friend now. You can let excuses and your problems of your life just really bombard you. You believe that something can happen in your life. I'd like you to bow your heads with me. Instead of finding excuses why God can't use or God can't give you favor or God can't do anything in your life because of your past. Man. Look at all the people in the Bible, but look at today's today you have examples. happen in your family and you've you just kind of rolled them off and excused them because of things that happened in your life. Man, you're really shortchanging the hand of God. You're saying that you're a, an example that he can't reach in and do anything that he wants to do in your family or in your individual life. Your life may be a mess, but there is a remedy and there is an answer to your mess. You gotta start believing for it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm gonna pray with you.